This is In the Ring with Sumo Heavy, a weekly e-commerce podcast with your hosts, John Suter, Bart Moraz, and Brittany Blackman. In the Ring features interviews with e-commerce leaders, as well as the latest news and strategies to give listeners actionable ideas and inspiration for their e-commerce businesses. The podcast is a production of Sumo Heavy, an e-commerce consulting firm with offices in Brooklyn, New York, and Philadelphia. Find us on the web at sumoheavy.com. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Kirsten Ross. Kirsten is a product launch expert that specializes in Kickstarter and Shopify launches for physical products. In 2015, she began this journey when her first launch failed terribly. After relaunching, she went from a $16,710 failure to a $592,742 success story. Since then, she's raised multiple millions of dollars in pre-order revenue on Kickstarter and Indiegogo with her clients and students. Kirsten talks about how she went from going to medical school to getting bit by the entrepreneurial bug and eventually winding up working with entrepreneurs to help them launch successful crowdfunding concepts. She'll take us through some good crowdfunding strategies, from marketing to mailing lists, and what makes a good campaign. Kirsten also offers online consulting to help e-commerce entrepreneurs launch and scale with her product Launchpad program, which is available on her website, kirsten.com. Enjoy my conversation with crowdfunding queen, Kirsten Ross. Hi, Kirsten. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Glad to have you. Uh, let's start from the top. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, I do crowdfunding launches today, but we're not getting into that right now. Um, I've been an entrepreneur coaching other entrepreneurs since I was 18 years old. Um, I was recruited. I was like this, this student at middle of university college that like thought I wanted to be a doctor and got really good grades in bioscience, but had every job under the sun, delivering papers, restaurants, fast food, and I was never satisfied. And then in my second year of university, I was recruited to run a residential painting company. So essentially, I would learn to run a business at the young ripe age of 18 years old with like whatnot, and the model was house painting. And I ended up um, doing that for three years and being one of the top franchise owners and paying for my, all my university through the money that I made over the summer doing like the house painting thing. Um, and I ended up taking that opportunity outside of university after I graduated, realizing very quickly I didn't want to be a doctor and I loved entrepreneurship. I loved being able to be in charge of my own money, my own time. And I went after university to um, take a position with the painting franchise to actually coach entrepreneurs into uh, starting from scratch and building a six-figure construction company in six months. Um, and so I did that across Canada for about four years. Um, and at that point, when I was about 24, 25, I had been with the company seven years. And I feel like, it's not that I aged out, but I just kind of felt like I wasn't being challenged anymore. And this was really all I knew. And I didn't see myself with the company long-term. So I thought, maybe, you know what, I'm just going to go do the backpacker thing for a couple years and find myself and figure out what I want to do. So I ended up backpacking and working in Australia and New Zealand for a year. I went to Asia a couple times. I lived in London for two years. Um, and in London's really when I started to quote, settle down and start to think, okay, you know what? I don't want to keep working at bars. I don't want to keep doing like random things to try to figure out what I want. I'm now going to commit to this entrepreneur thing. Um, and that's really where the crowdfunding journey started. Okay. So now we're yeah. at the crowdfunding part. You went from potential doctor 
bitten by the entrepreneurial bug, got bitten by the travel bug. Now we're at crowdfunding. How did that, how did that all play? And was that kind of like an accidental discovery or did you, you know, was it something to research? Cause it, I always want to know how people wound up where they are. Is, was it a kismet thing or was it just like, yes, this is what I want to do? It was a kismet thing. Um, I, while I was in London for about a year, um, I had tried different jobs and I found this awesome startup that I thought was like, you know what? They're perfect on paper. I'm going to make this work. And after three months, hating my life, not able to get out of bed, and the, that day was the day that I decided to commit to being an entrepreneur and go into consulting. So I didn't know how I wanted to work with companies. I just knew I had to be open to helping people um, build businesses. And I'd done it so successfully in the painting world that I just started going to networking events to meet people and talk to them and to see what their problems were. And I met, you know, I, I worked with some SaaS companies. I worked with freelancers, it was all over the map. And I really had this like generalization problem where I was making money, but I didn't really find my calling until I stumbled on it. So at the time when I moved back to Toronto, um, I was nine days back and I went to my first uh, networking event here in Toronto. And this guy comes up to me and just Kickstarter comes up in the conversation and he's like, well, I actually have this product. And eventually we became friends. And after a couple of weeks, he's like, Hey, I think we should partner up on this and you can be my like marketing person and I'm the product guy and we can bring this thing to market. And at this point I was like, I don't even understand what Kickstarter is. <laughs> right. Like I didn't really get it. Um, but I was open to just experimenting and trying different things because I just knew eventually I would figure out what I wanted to do. And so we ended up working together on this product and over two to three months, we planned, we had a, we had a couple of interns. We started really planning for this launch. And when we launched this product on Indiegogo, it was a, a huge failure. Like we, um, we had set a goal for $50,000 that we needed to start manufacturing for this thing, which in hindsight was way too low of a goal. Um, but on that first campaign, we ended up raising only $17,000. And so at the end of 30 days, we're like, oh my gosh, we have like close to 100 customers, 17,000 raised, and we are so far short of what we need that we just can't manufacture. So we thought at that point, it was either because it, the product sucked or the strategy sucked or the execution sucked. And talking to people, starting to really talk to our market and like figure out what actually went wrong. Um, we discovered that there was absolutely demand and interest for the product, but the reason people didn't buy was because of our execution of what happened, of how we did the campaign. So we're like, you know what, screw it. We're just going to go and we're going to relaunch this thing in like two months and just hope for the best. And if it fails, then we just know we're going to write it off. So we, we launched the campaign again after making some necessary changes and the thing exploded we did in a 30-ish day period about 592,000 US with close what? to 5,000 orders. So yeah. you, okay, so let me jump in here. You went, let's recap. So the first, the first, the first campaign was 16,000 and the, the second one was what? Was 592,000. So what was the secret sauce on the second campaign, if I can jump ahead? Secret sauce is fun. You need to understand how Kickstarter works and use their algorithm to your advantage. 
That is, yeah. that is, uh, that's really impressive. Would you be able to tell us what the product was? I mean, maybe not even specifically, but what type of product it was? Yeah, it was a product in the weight loss industry. Um, I'm happy to talk about it now because it ended up being a huge scam. <laughs> Go figure, oh, right? Okay. Um, but end up being not scam, but it just, it wasn't a viable launch. It was a, a vest that helped you lose weight through cold temperatures. And at the time um, we had, which in theory sounds great because all you have to do is just wear a cold vest for a couple of hours a day on the couch and you lose weight, like genius, right? Um, and there was some like science that backed it, but it wasn't actually proven in the lab to work, but whatnot. Um, and so that was the what the product was. And the founder did do his best to try to deliver it, but the final product that was delivered was not um, what was really promised or expectation set with that. Wow. That is, that's, that's really something. So, um, that's just a crazy story. So whatever, whatever happened with the product, does it, does does it no longer exist? So I, um, like after that campaign, I stopped talking to the founder with it. Um, because I, I started to see some shady business practices and he, um, just with development costs, the engineering firm apparently wasn't being upfront about their inability to deliver the product as was promised. So it went massively over budget, two years delayed. And then finally, after multiple, multiple raises, um, both from investors and whatnot, um, he ended up delivering the product, but the product delivered looked nothing and performed nothing like what was originally promised. All right. So that gets me into some of the questions that I wanted to ask you, but first let's talk about, um, let's, let's get a little background here. Why don't you give us the, the little elevator pitch about exactly what crowdfunding is in case some of our audience d- can't really grasp exactly what it is. I mean, obviously everyone's sort of Kickstarter, maybe Indiegogo, and there's so many other platforms, but basically what, what's the soup to nuts of crowdfunding? Yeah. So two biggest websites are Kickstarter and Indiegogo. What crowdfunding is, is an opportunity for you to launch a product to a global audience, okay? So let's just say Kickstarter because it's the biggest platform. If I have a product and I don't want to spend thousands of dollars of my own money for inventory on a product that I don't 100% know that there's market interest for and take that huge risk, what I can do is create a prototype and put it on Kickstarter with a good marketing campaign behind you to drum up awareness, which we'll get into why you need that in a second, Um, but ultimately you can put a product on Kickstarter and then you can walk away in 30 to 60 days with hundreds and thousands of new customers that when they're buying your product on Kickstarter, they're actually pre-ordering your product. So what you're doing is you're able to then take that revenue that was generated off Kickstarter and put that into manufacturing and deliver your product at a later date, which is usually between like three to seven months. Excellent. Excellent answer. So let's get into products. So um, if you are someone with an idea, how do you validate a product? How do you, how do you get to that point where you say, yes, this is good for Kickstarter, eh, this is not so good? What, what, what would you deem, a, I guess, and I guess I'm asking from what you do as your service, do you help uh, entrepreneurs or merchants evaluate their product? And do you ever have to sit someone down and say, I don't think this is very good for Kickstarter, but it might be good for XYZ? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, when I get prospects on the phone, I have an intake form and even questions on that first call that will assess market viability of the product. So what 
I look for in a product that I think is Kickstarter worthy, first you need to take a step back and say, is this product even validated? How, what kind of, um, what assurance or what research have I done in my own market to validate that someone is interested and someone's actually going to buy this? So that's the very first thing you need to look at is does your product have an interest in the market, right? Um, once you have that, the next question is what is the best way to bring it to market? And so if you're looking to do specifically a Kickstarter campaign for physical products, you're looking for products that serve the B2C audience. So a consumer, you're looking for people that would are most likely to buy products on Amazon, right? Um, while you can get some bulk and wholesale orders on Kickstarter, the main demographic on there is to the consumer. So it's a direct to consumer platform. Um, and so as long as you have a product that there's interest for, and there's something unique or different about it, and it's built for the consumer, it's most likely a Kickstarter. Um, I do want to talk about, there is a misconception that you need to have this like new invention to go on Kickstarter, like a never before done something. Um, and that's not the case. Like if you are, for example, if you take the swell bottle, I don't know if you see this on video, but you take the swell bottle and as a creator, you decide that swell has some, some customer complaints such as maybe they don't keep water cold for up to 12 hours or whatever, whatever, right? They see some, some complaints that customers are complaining about inefficiencies with the swell bottle. So they want to design a better version of swell. So what they'll do is they'll then design a prototype marketing to, Hey, well, we can actually keep hot drinks hot for hours or whatever that like that unique thing is with it. And then you're able to bring in a, a product that has like a different twist or an improvement on it to existing products. So it that, doesn't. That's know? great. Yes. That's a great explanation. And one of my questions I was going to ask you is at what stage of a product life cycle should you decide to crowdfund? So let's just say I'm a crazy entrepreneur and I like swell bottles, but I have no place to keep my vape pen. And I want to, I want to create a swell bottle with a little vape pen holder on the side or just regular pen, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm remixing the idea. Yeah. I'm doing a modification. Is it, does it make sense to put the prototype out there, even if it doesn't exist in the real world, because you can render something or you can make almost something that looks real and put it out there to gauge interest or do they, do you think they have, you have to be a little further along. And the reason that I ask that is because I think a lot of people are risk averse in investing something that they know doesn't exactly exist. For sure. Um, like wh where do you stand on that? Yeah. So if you're really early stage and you're, you know, you want to do Kickstarter in a few months, but you're pre prototype. Um, I think that to gauge market interest, CAD designs or a mock-up or something, some basic cheap, cheap MVP, doesn't have to be a factory made prototype, but the most basic of models that you can use to go to your friends who use vape pens and say like, hey guys, here's what I'm thinking. Is this a dumb idea or is there some legs to it? And then once you actually have validated your product, the next thing is you want to validate the design of it and your design after customer use and stuff is most likely going to change. So you don't want to marry yourself to a, like a, a prototype to go to manufacturing until you've had an opportunity to really gauge how people actually use that. So um, for 
stuff for going to Kickstarter, it's a bit of a different story. So validation, CAD drawings are fine. When you're serious about bringing it to market and you validated it, you on Kickstarter want to have actual product photos or video and not CAD designs because CAD designs are, and Kickstarter will most likely not even let you come on their platform because if you launch a product with CAD designs only, it's a red flag because that someone launching with only CAD designs is there actually proof of a prototype that they've developed? Is there proof that they're skin in the game? Is there proof that they're actually planning on delivering this product? Because there's a lot of um, scams that have happened over the years where people have put up a good design on Indiegogo Kickstarter and they just run away with the money that was raised. So, you know, or, or you know? the design maybe is not realistic to actual physical production, meaning I can design anything in CAD, but when it comes to maybe milling it or, or getting the molds or 3D printing it or whatever the production yeah. part of it is, it turns out, oh, well, it's not going to be $12 a piece. It's going to be $700 a piece. You know, it could be that, yeah. that kind of thing there. So, so let's, yeah, yeah no, that's great. So yeah. let, let's pretend that we've got this great idea. We've got this swell water bottle that holds uh, a vape pen. Yeah. When do you get to the part where you do a patent? And I ask this question because I've done a bunch of Kickstarters over the years. I've gotten a little leery of it the last couple of years because I got a couple where the guy ran off with the money or it yeah. took literally three years to deliver, which mm -hmm. is ridiculous. But a great example is when the COVID-19 thing started, there was a thing these guys started this thing called Hygiene Hand. And basically, it's a piece of metal that hooks on your keychain. It helps you open doors. It helps you punch ATMs so that you're not using your fingers. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. right away, right away, there's 100 knockoffs. And I'm getting emails from these guys every day. Don't buy the knockoffs. This is our, this is our idea. How do you stop that? So where does the patent come in? Do you, do, yeah. you, do you just take a chance? So typically what... And again, I'm not a legal professional, but I can only tell you what our clients do. Um, so I, because patents are so expensive and take years, or a year or so to come into play, um, before you go live, I do suggest if you have any IP that you need to protect, you file a Pen, uh, patent pending to get the process started. And then once you have the funding in and you know for certain that you're turning this into a business, file the patent as soon as you have that money. Um, number one, I just don't like, yeah, like that, that's what I would do um, is do patent pending. So the way to try your best to protect against knockoffs is when people copy you, they're taking your images, they're taking your video and putting it on their own sales page and really trying to act as the parent company, right? Or like the main original company. So another way you can protect your stuff from being, um, like swiped or copied is copyright all the images and assets that you have public is one way to do it. Um, and then lastly, um, it comes down to how quickly you're able to manufacture and fulfill. So you get a company like Fidget Spinner. I think that was where this is one of the main companies that raised millions of dollars for something and then got knocked off very quickly. Um, they apparently had released the designs and were delayed in manufacturing, which gave other people an opportunity to just press go and, and start to cash in on that opportunity, right? So typically what I recommend for people, apart from the legal protection side, is that you wanna be in a, in a spot where you're launching so that 
at the point where all you need is cash in the bank and you're ready to go to manufacturing immediately. And you have a two to three month window right after the campaign where your product is getting into customers' hands. And you just, you want to be first in hand, first in market, because that's going to give you an advantage to a bunch of knockoffs as well. Yeah. And especially right. if, if it's a well-received product, then your audience becomes your best marketing. Is that, is that a good assumption there? Yeah. Like we had um, Jamstack, a product we worked with here in Toronto. They raised about half a million dollars, um, were delivering, and then we got knocked off. There was a guy advertising as Jamstack selling a $200 unit for 50 bucks. And our Facebook community of a couple thousand people, like we had five or six right in the same day, were like, hey guys, um, this fraud is happening. We've reported them. And they like really became our advocates and helped us fight uh, Facebook and ClickFunnels to take down those pages. Yeah, it's like playing whack-a-mole with that though. Uh, it must be very frustrating. It is. Uh, so what is the best way to build uh, the pre-launch audience for your product? So that this is your area of expertise. Like I come to you with my, my water bottle with the vape pen holder and I say to you, you know, how do I market this thing? What, what advice do you give? What tools do you provide? Like how do you, how do you, how do you guide, you know, maybe an entrepreneur, he may be like a nutty professor type and he's like, I've yeah. got this thing, but I don't know what to do with it. How do you, how do you help? The traditional way is you want to have a wait list of people. So your the key to Kickstarter success is having a wait list of buyers ready to buy your product on the first day so that you are able to get picked up by the Kickstarter algorithm as a popular product that helps you trend and then it creates a snowball effect. So that's why you need a wait list is so that you can actually get discovered on Kickstarter by the community and get ranking on their site. So that's the first one. How you actually build that wait list is an email list. So while there are other ways you can build like a many chat audience, you can build like social media following, I've found that the most the proven most effective way to do this is get people onto an email list. We do that through Facebook and Instagram advertising. Okay, good. So you're using other, you're using other social platforms to gather that list, create the excitement. Um, so maybe you're doing this through Instagram and you have a photo of a prototype and you run some ads and say, here's my new jewel. Here's my new, what's the water bottle called? Swell. A swe yeah. a swe my swell yeah. vape holder, whatever we're going to call this thing. Uh, you run some ads gathering a list then you launch on the platform um we say kickstarter a lot and we also say indiegogo but i i see that there's a lot more platforms out there um and i see some of them obviously are for niches so patreon would be more for if i'm a an illustrator or a designer or a musician um but what are the other ones and do you do you get involved with the other ones or do you kind of stick with the old school kickstarter kickstarter indiegogo like what would you recommend to me with my crazy invention because Kickstarter and Indiegogo have the global audience, they have majority traffic. I always want to do Kickstarter Indiegogo, but however, there are some, and then I have actually personally, I'm totally open to it. If we have a client who insists on using some niche specific website, uh, we're open to helping them launch on that. But typically I stick to Kickstarter and Indiegogo and the difference with the other, cause there are hundreds of them. The difference with the other sites are niches. So you may have a food and beverage product that will launch on a food and beverage specific um, crowdfunding platform because they've curated an audience of food and beverage lovers. 
but what, and there, I guess pros and cons to both is that if I want to launch on a food and beverage specific crowdfunding platform, they have a very specific niche audience. So I think the uptake of your product there is going to do a lot better, but there's definitely a narrow audience compared to Kickstarters. Like Kickstarter has about 25 million visits in a six month period, right? Like there's just, so more volume, more competition on Kickstarter, but more credibility because of their establishment versus other niche sites. Um, it's just, you know, pros and cons, but. Gotcha. Yeah. So we hear the, the success stories of Kickstarter. Um, like I remember Pebble back in ye olden days. Um, yep. But then we don't hear so much about the ones that don't get funded. What What is the percentage of, of, of campaigns that get funded is is this like a you know this, is it eighty percent or is it thirty percent or where where is it no. lie? Kickstarter is they have a thirty seven percent success rate. Indiegogo they don't disclose it um, as Indiegogo has flexible funding and all or nothing. So flexible means that even if you don't hit your goal, you can still take the money. So yeah. that kind of skews the success rates of campaigns on Indiegogo, but. Uh, Kickstarter is 37%. Wow. Okay. 37. That, that seems, a, but I do yeah. see a lot of dud campaigns. Like I stumble a lot of, a lot of things that are just goofy ideas and they raised $16. And I think some people do joke campaigns. I think that probably attributes a little bit to that. Yep. Um, so in, in terms of Kickstarter, if you don't reach your goal, if you only get 16,000 out of 50, what happens to the money? It just goes back to the donors. Yep. It goes back actually 100%. Yeah. So yes, uh, no money changes hands. So Kickstarter doesn't actually charge backers until the end of your campaign when you're successful. So everything just gets canceled. Right. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about levels. So I yeah. think it's kind of like a carrot and a stick kind of thing where it's like, I really like this, this uh, water bottle, but uh, 90 bucks seems like a lot, but I like the thing and they're going to give me a sticker or something like how do you, do you set up levels like that? And what's, what's a good way to set up tiers in a, in a crowdfunding campaign? Yeah. While it is popular for people to do the support me pledge $1 or buy a sticker or buy merch to help support my thing. Um, honestly, I feel that that increases complexity in what the the creator has to deliver. So I don't recommend that with this new swell vape combo that you have to figure out manufacturing t-shirts and stationery and all these things just to get a few extra hundred dollars on your campaign because you need to focus on delivering the product because that's your long term. So I don't like um I don't like rewards that steer away from the main attraction number one. Um, unless there may be rare cases where your product is $300 and you may actually want like get on our founder's wall for 10 bucks or something special like that. Um, but typically speaking, how I do my reward tiers will start in quantities. So I will do one swell vape combo. I'll do a couples pack. I'll do uh, like a three or four pack. I'll do a bulk pack. I love doing 10 packs for retailers because, or for people, because it allows retailers an opportunity to buy a sample pack, get it delivered, try selling it to their customers. And that's like a really great way to get them introduced to your brand so that they potentially buy in bulk in the future. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's actually great advice. Um, so when you're creating a crowdfunding campaign, um, 
I know that there's a lot of tools out there and obviously video, I mean, that was like the, you know, the, the original thing that people started where it was like, you know, remember there was a funny video. It was like, Oh, hi Kickstarter. It's me, Joe. I want to tell you about my new guitar pick. It's, is that still kind of the same way? Or I, I see some pages that are highly detailed and some that are just like, here's my, here's my thing. Come give me some money. Um, and I guess it really has to do a lot with awareness. What is your, what is your uh, approach? Yeah. Um, I like to do professional best foot forward. Like in saying that if you have a crappy page, but an amazing product, you're still going to do well. Right. But typically the campaigns that I see get funded and raise a lot are curated like a marketer is building your product. So I believe in the professional video or at least having like treating it like a product commercial where you are, it's not about traditionally here's my Kickstarter, help me bring my product to life. It's more about here's this freaking awesome product we spent months designing so that people like you can enjoy your vape on the go. And here's all these awesome features that you can now have in your life because of this thing, right? So it's Kickstarter has changed from a help me fund my dream to look at this awesome product and turning it into a real marketing campaign. So that's great. Great answer. Yeah. So your experience with working with people running campaigns, who are the best types of people to work with? Is it the nutty professor types? Is it designers? Is it strict entrepreneurs or numbers people? Or what's your, what's your, what's your dream client? My dream client is someone who is great on the numbers side and analytical. They're detail oriented, but they are a marketer as well. So they have that like really rare mix of understanding people and they're coachable, but they also understand that they, they're not like total visionary. Like they understand they need to figure out the pricing. They need to have the right manufacturer. So I'm looking for that hybrid of someone who's super competent on both the like marketing side, or they have some innate ability to learn how to market and they're good with people as well as that analytical balance. Um, my dream clients are usually people that have been an entrepreneur or have a bit of experience in some capacity because they understand the hard work and dedication or, and the time it takes to build something awesome. Um, and I think just their expectations for success are more realistic as opposed to like, I'm 18 and I want to raise seven figures and I have $10 in my bank account. <laughs> you know, like they're just, they, they're not scared by risk. They understand the process. They understand what needs to go into something. And they just like, they're super serious and committed to building it. Gotcha. So I wanted to touch on before we get a little further into it. Um, what is the connection with Amazon and Shopify? How do you, how does crowdfunding connect with those two? Yeah. So I get a lot of Amazon sellers work with us because they, if you get Amazon's a great spot to start selling online. Um, but then you'll get a couple of seasoned sellers that want to design their own product and they don't want to only sell on Amazon. They want to do more of a multi-channel where they have their own brand because the issue with Amazon is you don't have access to your customer data and they have full control. So what a lot of sellers want to do is build a brand off of Amazon. And one great way to do that is to do a Kickstarter campaign. So how I recommend doing it, for example, we have one client we launched a couple weeks ago and we have um, like 850 new customers in two weeks. The campaign's still going, but he's been approached by, as seen on TV, few wholesalers and a few big deals have started to come down the pipe because of the like the press he's gotten from this product because people now discover you and find you. 
what he's then doing off of that is after Kickstarter shuts down in two weeks, we are then manufacturing and then going straight to Amazon as a B to C um, selling channel. So that's what he's doing with that. So that's what we would do with the product through Kickstarter is you would get the momentum, get the customer base, get the social proof, and then use them to launch strong on Amazon with that. That's great. That's amazing. Yeah. I hadn't even considered that. Um, so let's get back to you. Um, it, it sounds like you've kind of created this career for yourself in terms of um, the, I'll just call you the, the crowdfunding consultant. Yeah. Um, how does someone go and find someone like you? Are there a lot of people like you or is this like this little niche that you built for yourself or is this? I think there, there are definitely a lot of people that do what I do, but like online marketers to find the good ones is hard because there's a lot of people who have done or they've raised 20,000 on Kickstarter and now they think they're some big expert, right? So I think there are definitely people that you know, there are tons of us, but to find the good ones is difficult to how people find us is like through, you just start to learn like, okay, where's the customer looking? So I get a lot of my traffic from YouTube or from the podcast because any physical product owners, like I want to learn more about Kickstarter. So they go to find the education on that. Gotcha. That's great. So I guess to justify your ROI is basically your track record of success, correct? That's right. That's amazing. All right. So why don't you tell us about your product launchpad? Yeah, sure. Um, so the product launchpad, I actually designed that after running um, an agency in the crowdfunding space for a couple of years where the agency is where people would literally hire us to do and manage their campaign. And what I noticed is I had a lot of people who I would quote and they had great products, but they didn't want to pay agency fees because to run a launch can run you anywhere from 15,000 and up. And that's just not really feasible for profit margins at that point. Right? So I decided to create a group coaching program, which actually will train and coach people through how to launch a product online using Kickstarter and transitioning into Shopify with that. So the launch pad is a, it's a hybrid online course, but partnered with daily access to myself and my team to get feedback on your project as you're going. So it's a coaching program then, basically. You got it. Yeah. Yeah, It's great. That's awesome. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about you. Um, Obviously being an entrepreneur is demanding work. Um, What's a typical day like for you? And I'm not talking about in these strange times we live in now, but let's pretend that everything is back to normal. Like how do you manage to find a balance? How do you manage your time? Any tips or tricks or anything like that? Um, Because I'm all into productivity. So anybody who can give me that little nugget of advice is well appreciated. Yeah, I think quarantine has really helped me hunker down and get really serious about the routine with it, um, just to keep the ball going, right? And stay productive. So for the last couple of months, my routine has been, I'm up, I'm up early around five, six. Um, I do my morning mindset practice, which is like journaling, affirmations, um, just getting clear on the day, meditation. And then I start my day and what I start my day with is every week I establish three priorities that I have to do by Friday at eight o'clock. And so my days and first thing in the morning is around working towards knocking those priorities out. Um, So for example, I'm in the middle of recording some modules for the program. So I may say finish week four 
uh, which means they need to do these four modules. So Monday, I'm doing mo this module. Tuesday, I'm doing this module. And I'm just kind of like breaking it down and focusing my day on tackling that priority and then getting on with like checking in with clients and the MPLP and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm very much into, into uh, productivity hacks and things like that. And the things you always hear is, you know, do the hard thing first, eat the frog, uh, do all that kind of stuff. Like get the hard thing out of the way. Don't sit there looking at email until 11 and go, uh, time for lunch. Uh, you know, Cause the day's gone, you know, you're, the day's going to get away from you. And just think of your willpower at the end of the day. Like if I leave my gym session or my outreach session to 6 p.m., my brain is like, no, 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 yep. anything. But yep. in the morning, it's like, there's no question. You just do it. The brain so. looks for comfort. Yeah, I agree. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about advice for entrepreneurs. And I guess in specifically in your uh, niche, um, what's the one advice you'd give to someone who is thinking about doing a crowdfunding or coming up with a product? What would you tell them to do first and how would you guide them through? Yeah, I think for anyone that wants to get into the physical product space, um, I see a lot of people dwelling and just kind of sitting on ideas for years and not taking action. If you're serious about it, you don't want the feeling of someone else have come up with your idea and have made something of it. So if you're serious about your product, go for it. Um, secondly, Kickstarter is a viable option. It's a great option if your expectations are right. So for example, Kickstarter, a lot of people see it as a, a quick in out money-making scheme, whereas it's really a marketing campaign to launch your startup. It's a marketing campaign to launch your product. So what a lot of people don't know is there's a lot of expense and time that goes into getting a launch right on Kickstarter. So if you want to do a proper launch, it's not about making a whole bunch of money because that, that money is really a startup investment to get your inventory, get the marketing in, and you're going to make your money back over the next 12 to 18 months when you're actually building that brand. And I think a lot of people um, don't know, like they don't expect that going into Kickstarter and then they're really annoyed or angry in the aftermath and they're like, Oh, I went into debt or I broke even, or just made a little bit of profit. So yeah, I think people see that dollar sign. They see that as the finish line. When I think, especially when it comes to crowdfunding or running a product, um, that's only the beginning, you know, like once you get, once you close that, then the next chapter begins and then you're going to start selling the product. But a lot of people say, you know, uh, you know, oh, Pebble, they raised $10 million while they took that money and put it into other products and it went from there. So, yeah. And so that's like, people just, you need to see crowdfunding as the start of your e-commerce journey, like, yeah. and not just, I'm going to build this cool product in my spare time. Cause like so much goes into it to do it well. So. That's a good quote. See crowdfunding as the start of your e-commerce journey. I'm going to write that one down. All right. Oh, I like that one. That's yeah. good. All right. Um, what would you do if you weren't doing this? Would you go back to being a doctor or what would you, what would you be doing? Oh God, no. Um, <laughs> I, what soured you on the medical profession? Nothing. I, oh, okay. Well, um, I went into my lab uh, in third year un university in biochemistry. They introduced us to the six hour labs, which means from like two to 8 PM, you are in the lab for eight hours. And what would frustrate me is that the amount of steps required to get I would like do titrations and centrifuges and all these things. And finally, after like a four hour test, the specimens contaminated or you got some weird result. You don't know how to analyze it as, and I didn't like how a, the amount of waiting around. And I didn't like how I just like getting fast, quick results. And I just discovered in that six hour lab, I'm like, Ooh, this isn't for me. And 
be, having been in the painting business a year at that point, I like want, all I wanted to do was go knock on doors and sell contracts. Right. So I think if I wasn't doing what I was doing today, I would absolutely still be running my own business. I may have gone back to painting, um, but I most likely would be coaching and working with entrepreneurs in some capacity. That's so. so funny though. It's like you have that, you have that entrepreneurial mindset and then you're trying to work in a lab and it's like it, the hustle isn't there. You know, you, you just realize yeah. in the back of your head, you're thinking I'm doing good work here, but can it come a little faster? Yeah. <laughs> can it go a little faster? And I, I didn't know that until the entrepreneur thing happened to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I like finally understand myself. Oh, thank goodness the light oh. went on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Final question. What's the last thing you bought online? I think it's either a dog collar because my guy broke his or it's my laptop. So it's one of those two things. Apple, it's a new pro. Oh, nice. Very nice. All right. Very good. (laughs) And now this is the part of the show, the shameless plug. You can plug (laughs) anything you like, your social media, any programs, anything, any URLs. The floor is yours. Sure. Yeah. I'm just going to say, if you guys are interested in talking about your product, if you're not sure if it's right for crowdfunding or go to market, I am happy to have a chat with you. So the best place to go is my website, which is K-H-I-E-R-S-T-Y-N.com. I'm sure he'll link that up in the show notes. Um, But yeah, you can find out information on the product launch pad, as well as just how to schedule a call with me and the team. So pretty good. Very good. Uh, this has been a great episode. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us and uh, do us a favor, check in with us and we'd love to have you on back again. If you've got anything else to uh, share with the audience. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks All so much right. guys for having me. Thank, thank you. you. Have a great day. That's it for today's episode. Thanks again to Kirsten Ross. We'll be having her back on a future episode. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. If you've got any comments, suggestions, or even recommendations for future guests, reach out to us on social media at Sumo Heavy. And if you'd like to learn more about Sumo Heavy, check out our website, sumoheavy.com. That'll do it for this week. We'll see you next time in the ring.